0: Your brain is kind of like a house or an apartment, and if it fills up with waste or trash or garbage, it's hard to find things, it's hard to focus, it's hard to be productive. So while you're sleeping at night at certain points during the night, your brain acts like a sponge and it squeezes out waste, trash, toxins, leftover chemical reactions, broken down proteins, just part of being alive. And if we can get rid of this waste and we can remove it, uh, we can keep our brain cells functioning properly.
1: old is your brain. Well, some of you might be thinking, do you know what? It does feel quite old today, but that's a natural part of aging, right? Well, despite what we have been told, mental decline isn't an inevitable part of aging. You can learn to boost your brain health and reduce the risk of dementia, stop brain fog, reduce stress, anxiety, and mental exhaustion with the help of my next guest, Dr. Mark Milstein, who has written the most fantastic book called The Age-Proof Brain. And he's here with me sharing his tips on how you can stop aging your brain and reap the mental and physical rewards. And I promise you, if you're serious about your mental and physical health, then you really don't want to miss this. And welcome, Dr. Mark Milstein. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here because being in my fifties, I'm much more interested in. Uh, I think the party days are over. Um, I'm interested in uh, looking after my brain, uh, my energy, my physical and mental health more than ever. There's so much information out there. You have a brilliant new book called "The Age Proof Brain." Um, I'd like to dive into. Um, what is it that ages our brain and what we can do about it? Yeah, definitely. So the
0: the good news is is that we're we're clearly seeing that there's things that we can do to slow this process down um, and that we're aware that we can really get the best out of our brain each day and lower risk for things like memory loss, um, significant memory loss like dementia, Alzheimer's, anywhere from 30 to 60%. Um, So we know that actually starting at the age of 40, our, our brain starts to shrink by about 5% every 10 years. And that shrinking can, can have a negative impact on our brain's ability to function. Um, but we're clearly seeing that we can slow that down. And really lifestyle factors are the things that make a, a big difference. And so the things that age our brain are everything from lack of sleep, diet, inflammation, um, metabolic issues, so blood sugar. So we realize it's not just one thing, it's the accumulation of these multiple factors. and. Really, the good news is we have things we can do for all of these factors. So we try to
1: put them all together uh, and leverage them to slow down the aging process of the brain. That sounds like good news for me. Five uh, percent every ten years. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> okay. Um, what? What? You know? What would be the starting point for someone who's listening to this podcast is thinking, okay, this sounds good. Uh, I would like to um, help my brain feel younger. To um, Actually, that's a good question. Can we reverse our brain's age? Can we make it younger to some respect? Or is it kind of stuck where it is? Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. So actually, that that's really one of the most hopeful aspects of this is that your brain basically has two ages, the number of years you've been on this planet, and then how old is your brain. And so your brain can be older or younger than your actual age. And one of the ways that we gauge brain age is just and the shrinking of it. So um, we want to have a full plump brain. And we see that when we do these lifestyle factors, we, we keep the brain more full, more plump, and we can slow down that, that aging or that shrinking process.
1: Okay, so what would be the starting point for someone they're listening to this thinking, okay, great. Uh, there's lifestyle factors that have an impact on, um, you know, shrinking of the brain, and we want it to be plump, what would be the best place to start?
0: Well, there's a few places. One thing to, to really think about or focus on, prioritize, I would say is sleep. Um, it's something that we can take control of. It's a, you know about a third of our lives. <laughs> and, and what we realize is that when we're sleeping, we're actually removing waste, toxins, and trash from our brain. So your brain while you're sleeping is doing all these amazing processes to keep your brain healthy and youthful. Um, and one of which is that your brain is kind of like a house or an apartment and if it fills up with waste or trash or garbage, it's hard to find things, it's hard to focus, it's hard to be productive. So, while you're sleeping at night at certain points during the night, your brain acts like a sponge and it squeezes out waste, trash, toxins, leftover chemical reactions, broken down proteins, just part of being alive. And if we can get rid of this waste and we can remove it uh, we can keep our brain cells functioning properly so part of also what happens when we age is that not only does the brain basically lose some of its mass or, or shrink the brain cells themselves don't interact with each other as well and one of the things that interferes with that interaction is this waste or trash buildup so while you're sleeping you squeeze out this waste and this trash you actually squeeze it into some empty space And then fluid comes up from your spinal cord and washes all this trash away. So, at its essence, you're washing your brain every night, keeping it clean. And a clean brain is essentially a youthful brain. So, thinking about what can we do to optimize our sleep without turning to, you know, sleeping aids. Um, And we've learned so much about how our brain works that we can actually, you know, take some actions now that can really
1: prioritize and optimize our sleep. I love the idea. I think it's such a good way of putting it that the brain is almost having a wash overnight. It's having yeah. like a deep clean. I love yeah. that. I love that. And I think a lot of people relate to that. But yeah, it's, you know, one of the things as a mindset coach, one of the things I know, I, well, I hear from a lot of clients, and it's something I've struggled with myself, is the ability to sleep properly throughout the night. It's into that people wake up uh, needing to use the bathroom or, um, or you know, struggling to get to sleep at, at all. Um, what, would, what would help someone if someone's listening is just thinking, I really need to get my sleep into gear? What would be a good place to start to help them sleep a full night or a, to get a healthy night's sleep?
0: Yeah. One of the important um, insights is that it's okay to wake up. So the more that we hear about how important our our sleep is for our brain, um, you know, I don't want anyone to hear this and then wake up tonight and panic that they're not getting a brainwash. Now they're like, I wish I never heard that. (laughs) I didn't need that information. That's more stressful than ever. So instead, wake up tonight if you do wake up and remind yourself it's okay to wake up. You actually sleep in a cycle. that's about 90 minutes and you actually normally wake up every 90 minutes. You might not be aware of it or conscious of all those awakenings. But really, the first step is it's okay to wake up. It's how your brain works. What we don't want to do in the middle of the night is think about stressful thoughts. We don't want to think about all the things that we didn't do yesterday or all the things we have to get to tomorrow. You know, stress, worry, anxiety at two or three or four in the morning is the enemy of our brain's ability to get back into the sleep cycle. So, thinking about... You know, some mindfulness, we can talk about that some stress, you know, uh, stress alleviating activities, um, like breathing exercises, mindfulness, try not to check your phone, Um, your phone emits light that tells your brain that it's daytime, (laughs) and it can make it hard to fall asleep. So having the phone out of reach, and just realizing it's okay to wake up, but we want to do some things to get, get ourselves back into the sleep cycle. And it's not the time to start Thinking about all the things that that are worrying us, and instead, if we can quit, put our mind sort of in the present moment with some breathing or some relaxation activities, that can help us get back into
1: sleep. Yeah, that's a that's a great tip. Something that I've been working with my clients on is. Uh, getting them to be aware of the part of them. I call it a little problem solver. You know, when you, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, if you wake up at say four in the morning and your brain goes, okay, let's just discuss all the things that you've got to do tomorrow and also try and solve these things and give you wonderful ideas. So one thing I began to do was just say, hey, (laughs) hey, little problem solver, we don't have to do this right now. There's no problems to solve this very moment. And that seems to be very, very helpful. Uh, But breath work is also very handy, calming down that nervous system.
0: Yeah, also um, scheduling time to worry. It sounds silly or ridiculous, but saying, you know, this is four in the morning isn't the time. I'll put it on my calendar. I'll I'll deal with it, you know, at at two o'clock today from two to two fifteen. There's nothing wrong with worrying, but we just want to make sure it's there's a beginning and an end to it. And then also what we realize is it's interesting what you brought up, because what you do in the hour before bed, can lessen those wake-ups where you're, the, the worrying part of your brain or the, the thinker, the analyzer part of your brain is, is active. And they've done these interesting studies where they have people in the hour before bed write down their to-do lists or what they're worried about. And they they tell themselves, okay, this information is safe. You'll deal with it in the morning. And what we believe is happening is it allows the brain to let go of information. And also, because oftentimes it's like we do one more thing, one more one more task, one more email, and then we just try to go to sleep and we don't let go of all the things we need to let go of. So our brain at four in the morning is like, wait, what about that thing? What about that other thing? What about the thing I'm worried about? But if we let go and process it before bed, we're more likely to not have it wake us up at four in the morning. And if it does have a little pen and paper by your bedside, tell yourself, I'm gonna write it down. It's safe, I'll deal with it later. There's something about letting go of information that's
1: really important. Otherwise our brain is like, don't forget this, don't forget that. (laughs) And it usually happens like at three in the morning. I love the negotiation. I think, yeah, just reminding that the, your brain that you're safe and that we don't really need to deal with this right now is uh, an important part of just al- allowing the brain to just pick it up at another point. Um, what do you, you know? One of the things as a, as a coach is a lot of the people that come to me don't really want to sort out their bedtimes. <laughs> you know, they don't want to. There's a, there's a lot of resistance to going to bed at a certain time. And you, there's just like this is almost as part of them rebels against getting it, almost like getting a good night's sleep. What, have you come across that, that, that level of resistance to, um, you know, because we, we offer a lot of great advice, but there's people who know it, but almost find themselves, it feels too hard to act upon it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um,
1: do you mean that the, they don't want to change their bedtime or they don't want to go to bed? They want to stay up later? Yeah, there's a part. So you know, I was talking to a client the other day, and they're like, "Yes, I need to go to bed by eleven. That's absolutely correct. And I know I would feel amazing the next day because, they're you know they're, they're worried about how they are the next day. But when it comes to that that eleven o'clock, there's part of them that says almost like a uh, screw you. I just let's just watch another episode of something. Let's go into a TikTok hole or something else. And before I know it, it's one o'clock in the morning, and, uh, and you know so. And it's interesting that there's this part of us that knows we, sh- we could be doing these things, but somehow something happens to prevent it. I don't know if that's something that you've come across in your work because I said you offer great advice, but do people act upon it?
0: Yeah, so I've actually, there's, there was some interesting studies in the last year about this phenomenon. Um, and the idea is, is that what they found is that if people don't have enough fun <laughs> or pleasure during the day, then they don't want to go to bed. They want to say, they want one more episode of, uh, of TV. They want one more episode. Their brain is like, I didn't get enough <laughs> of enjoyment during the day. All I did was work or all I did was worry or all I did was things on my to-do list. And your brain is like, I need something enjoyable. I'm not, I'm not gonna end the day without it. And so sort of re-engineering the day and saying, you know, let's not do this at 11, <laughs> let's have some fun and some enjoyment at noon or you know take a break during the day and say what's your what's a fun activity that you can carve out for for a few minutes and then that allows the brain to say i've had that time i don't need to do it now at 11 because it's understandable you know the brain is wants fun it wants pleasure we have to be aware of this and if it feels like it didn't get enough during the day it's gonna it's gonna be like i'm not gonna end the day without getting a dose so sometimes that comes from one more episode of the show that's streaming or one more, you know, dive into TikTok. So thinking about moving those things earlier in the day in, or, you know, getting some fun activities in so that we can say, you know what, today is,
1: we can close the chapter on today and move on to tomorrow. absolutely love that. And I think that's right. We, I think that also comes back to another point I was going to ask you about is if people are not having enough fun because of being very dutiful, you know, we seem to be trying to pack so much into our day, which is all about productivity. Um, again, when that's very stressful for, uh, someone's nervous system for, you know, I think that adds a lot of inflammation and then obviously they're trying to squeeze in a little bit of fun before bedtime. I think there's a term called revenge bedtime procrastination. I don't know if you've ever heard that.
0: Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly yeah. So it. That,
1: yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, uh, so what do you think is happening for people for, to get to that stage? What's because It seems to be, we're seeing an increase in mental health issues, From anxiety depression dementia Um, is this part of it that people are becoming so regimented with their productivity or they're stuck in stress Uh, what do you think is happening to create such an increase in mental health issues yeah it's a really good question it's it's complex it's it's probably you know it's many many things
0: but i think part of what's happening is maybe missing the meaning and the uh, of of the activities that we're doing and missing the purpose in them so that If we're thinking about our brain needs a certain amount of fun during the day and we're getting that fun from things like TikTok, not that there's anything wrong with social media, but sometimes we're we're missing the meaning or the true enjoyment of an activity because we're sort of doing it or we're, we're, for example, you know, it's like, I'll take a break. I'll go for a walk, but I'll also do a work call or I'll also do a work email at the same time. It's the constant juggling of multitasking as opposed to like, I'm gonna just do something that's really enjoyable. You know, it doesn't have to be a major thing. It could be, you know, really like enjoying some of your favorite music or going for a really like a mindful a walk, enjoying some nature, playing a sport, you know, meeting a friend for coffee and really having that interaction as opposed to sitting there and we're both on our phones the entire uh, conversation and just thinking about even though the things that we think are breaks and are fun might not be giving us the value that we need to get from them and then saying how am i going to get that value like if i'm going to meet somebody for dinner or for lunch that you know let's really have that meaningful conversation let's put our devices away let's let's if i'm going to take the walk let me just really take the walk let me do the thing that's going to actually allow my brain to feel like i had that experience as opposed to the end of the day i was just sort of running on a ham- hamster wheel the whole day, multitasking, juggling, and then I have the end of the day feeling like, I don't know what I actually did today. I don't really... As opposed to like, I'm really going to do some work with, with some, um, you know, intense focus and no distractions, and then I'm going to take a real break, and then I'm going to go back and do some work. There's all these interesting studies on burnout that show that people who follow that pattern, which sounds so simple, but is so easy to overlook in our world where we're just feeling like, well, I need to be doing two, three things at the same time, and you know, sort of like moving and and taking advantage of my breaks as as squeezing in work, that formula over time doesn't seem as beneficial as getting back to some boundaries of real work, no distractions, real
1: break, real break, (laughs) meaningful break, and then back to some work. Yeah, I loved um, Stephen Kotler's like the the flow state, um, you know, uh, the, the, the philosophy around that is absolutely, and the science around it is absolutely amazing. Um, but I wanted I wanted to sort of, because there's a whole science around that, we could have a whole conversation about that. But going back to what you're talking about in fun and, uh, you know, getting outside and in nature and things, how did these impact the brain? Do they make the brain younger as in regards to they help with the age proofing? Um, the more that we are in nature, the more fun we have and how does it do that?
0: Yeah. it's a, it's, it's so interesting that we're seeing all this research now that, being outside, or just being in the presence of some nature, like green time, lowers stress levels, lowers cortisol. And there's this study in Japan that I always like to bring up, where they actually had people just stare at a plant on their desk for two to three minutes, and their stress levels dropped. And then they said, "Well, is there anything we can do to make this more impactful?" And they had they found that if they spritz the plant with a little bit of water, <laughs> they, it was their their stress levels fell even faster, farther. And there's something if we think about it, nature is really good for the brain. Taking care of something, going back to what we were talking about a moment ago purpose being in the present moment and what, what we believe is happening is that nature has a nurturing element. Um, it allows our brain to relax and so that cortisol that is constant in our modern world in in a dose you know a dose of stress really good. it's actually really good for our brain keeps our brain cells young but that cortisol that's too much too often actually shrinks the brain and can damage it. So this idea of we actually want some stress, we just want to take a break from it. And what are the things that allow us to take a real break, we see that it's nature, being in the presence of of nature. I was talking to somebody um, recently about this and they were telling me about this study where when we're outside in nature, we change our vision. We, We sort of look at a bigger picture of things and it allows our brain to calm down as opposed to just sort of constantly during the day being staring at our phone or a computer. And that narrow vision is more of if we think about... Um, you know, our ancestors, when they were like really zeroed in on something, they are probably in a moment of stress, they're probably trying to, you know, solve a problem, or they're probably trying to be very, you know, watching a predator, but if we're just out sort of gazing at the horizon and taking it all in, we're probably in a more relaxed state. So allows our brain to take a break from all that cortisol, which again, in a moment is good, but just too much of it is, is not good. And again, you know, it doesn't have to be a national park. So it's nice to think that, you know, you could have a plant in your, on your desk or in your, in your home
1: or your apartment, and that can have some benefit too. Yeah. You, 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 and and I, I heard about that study. I think Andrew Huberman talked about it because he talks a lot about light and eyes. Um, and he talked about peripheral vision uh, and landscape vision. And I, I, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, in Hawaii, there's a meditation technique using peripheral vision, which I heard about years and years and years ago. Well, what I liked about it when I was experimenting with it, because I trained in eye movement therapy, is that when you go into peripheral vision, the brain becomes really quiet. and almost like you almost enter into this meditative state. And I think it is something about the broadening of your vision is uh, somehow an evolution, a, a way of allowing the brain to know you're safe. But when we become very uh, stressed, it, we, we become quite narrow and focused to deal with that danger. Um, yeah, so I, I yeah I love that that you brought that up. Going into stress a bit, um, it's you know it's great that obviously being in nature is very good for reducing stress. But what are the effects of stress on on on, on the brain and and how does that work? You know, on the brain and body. Uh, if anyone's listening to this, uh, what signs should they look out for that just says, "Hang on a sec," the body is letting you know through stress or sort of si- some sort of symptoms. And it's probably asking for help. What, what should they look out for? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those are great questions. One is thinking about stress in a
0: new way, the new perspective, building upon what we were talking about a moment ago that stress is we're not looking for a stress free life. That's actually not ideal for our brain. And I like to think of it like your brain's like a car. If you leave it in the garage and you never drive it, it, it falls apart. If you overdrive it, it falls apart. So we actually want some stress in our life. We wanna we want to feel engaged. We want things we wanna get done, challenges. That's all really good. Um, we actually, there's evidence that moments of stress, bursts of stress actually help brain cells and the memory part of your brains essentially stay, stay sharp, um, stay active so we can understand that stress is really good in those moments. But if it's the constant state of cortisol, then what we're, what we're concerned about is that the brain actually shrinks, raises the risk for mental health issues, um, raises the risk for inflammation. So, we know that, you know, un, un, basically cortisol that is constantly being released can activate our immune system, causing an upregulation or too much inflammation, which can damage our joints or our, our gut or our brain. So, we, a big part of what we're realizing is that how much this is all connected. Um, and so, really, if somebody's feeling overwhelmed... Uh, If they're feeling like they are having trouble sleeping, if they feel like uh, changes to their appetite, they're not getting enjoyment out of things that they used to enjoy, they're feeling, you know, that sense of just kind of frazzled, those are real warning signs and really any changes to our physical health, pain, you you know, pain can be caused or exacerbated made worse by by stress, our brain and our body are absolutely connected. So it's not to say that it's the only thing, and and we don't want to equate every physical ailment with stress. But stress can play a role, can make things worse. Um, it can bring conditions play a role in bringing conditions out of remission. So we realize that it's something that we want to be aware of and and utilize as as an avenue of treatment and healing um, for our brain and our body.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really important that you know that we mentioned as you did at the beginning of just that that stress is actually in short bursts actually very good for us. And is there something that someone can, you know, we we can do to induce healthy stress? What would be some examples of something that someone could do? Because we're not going to live a stress free life. There are elements of stress, but like for example, I, I take cold showers, or and I and I go to and I work out. Is a you know is a you know what would be good way some ways of introducing good stress? Yeah,
0: a good stress is um, exercise, <laughs> um, challenges, the things that you enjoy doing. So um, whether that is going a little bit out of your comfort zone but in a way that it's something that you want to want to learn about or that you want to experience you know travel can be a positive stress if you if you have the and that, that really my big message the big message of all this is perspective um, is that constantly trying to remind ourselves that this is a learning process this is in, you know this is we learn from mistakes we learn from trying things that are new and that stress is something that gives us energy um, in a moment. And we see this with, you know, pro athletes, they 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 oftentimes are successful because they're using stress as a moment of energy or burst of, of something they can they can hone. And, you know, we see with amateur athletes, they stress makes them feel overwhelmed. And it's oftentimes stress is something that's coming from, you know, our heart rate, our blood pressure, the amount of sweat coming out of us. It's actually our brain's interpretation of what's happening from the neck down. We tend to think of it, it's all happening up here. But it's really our brain analyzing what's happening from the neck down. And you can take two people who have very similar heart rates, blood pressure, um, while they're in a stressful moment, and their perspective on it can be quite different. One person will say, this is energy. I'm going to go do one thing. I'm going to go tackle a, a challenge or some, you know, get something done. And the other person feels overwhelmed. And, and we want to think about as part of this, when we get that feeling, not just kind of pushing it away and saying it doesn't, it's not real, it doesn't exist, or I'm not going to feel it, but I feel it. It's there, I'm going to use it and then I'm going to take a real break from it. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, doing things to our body that are uh, enjoyable but have some stress to them, going out of our comfort zone. Um, that's how we learn and that's how we grow. We have to have some sort of it's just like when you go to the gym, you know, you have to challenge the muscle to, to grow it. Same thing with our brain.
1: I'm very excited to announce my new Patreon channel for listeners is now online. This is for anyone who is serious about their mindset change, they want to take it to another level, for transformational life change, and support my work in helping reach as many people as possible. And to say thank you to you who choose to support me, you will get exclusive, deeper, longer, more impactful, varied subconscious meditations. You'll be invited to members-only masterminds, yet we get to work together, You can engage with me on the site and ask for content that matters to you. You get 10% discount on Mindset Change Workshops and you get access to some new episodes before they even appear on the main show. Now the library is building, but you will see some very powerful and impactful subconscious training meditations there already. You can even post videos there. So before the price goes up, Join right now for that huge discount. The link to join is in the show notes. And you know what? I can't wait to welcome you. And if you'd also like to join my WhatsApp community to engage with myself and like-minded people, the link is also in the show notes. Come say hello. Yeah, there seems to be... Um, I've not I've not read the book. I do know it exists because I want to invite the author to come on. People keep reminding me to, to speak to him. Uh, but there's a book called The Comfort Crisis. I think by someone called Michael Easter, um, and it talks about how, it, how building up resilience is very important for us to, uh, for you know, by in, introducing healthy stress, because there just seems to be a generation of people who are trying to be too comfortable, and I th- and I, and and I think that's, that is, it is having a negative impact on their mental and physical health, and I think that that might be one of the reasons why there's you know, it's always nuanced, isn't it, as to why uh, we have right raise uh, you know, a raising. Uh, mental health issue um, issues around in, in society. The right, one thing I wanted right, yeah, to ask, you, right. yeah, it's, it's that. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I, I was going to link things into that with um, gut health because you you brought it up briefly earlier. And one thing that has exploded all over TikTok and all over uh, social media, they call it gut talk now, it's even got its own hashtag <laughs> um, is, and I know this is a big part of um, of your work is, uh, is, is part of is gut health and how it affects brain health. And I wanted to get some more information of that because I often get really confused as to how the gut influences the brain and the role of serotonin for example so i'd like to to uh, to dive there a little bit with you if that's possible sure for yes for sure for sure
0: um so the way i like to think about it and and break it down is that you know what's happening in our gut can impact our brain what's happening in our brain can impact our gut it's a it's a two-way street it's not the only thing you know we want to put there's definitely um some things that are marketed ahead of the science in terms of what we understand. But we do see is that what's happening in our gut can impact our brain health. And one way to think about it, or I like to think about it is that inflammation in the gut is like a fire. And that fire can either rage or it can be put out. And whether or not that fire is present or it's raging or it's put out, a lot of it depends upon what we're eating. And so the food that we eat, some foods help put the fire out, uh, those are the whole natural foods. So diet gets really complex really quickly, and there's definitely individualized aspects to it. But something that we just see consistently is is what you're about to eat. Does it? Will it ever spoil? <laughs> like, if it's going to spoil someday, you're, in, you're you're doing some good things for your gut. If it's the type of thing that we can unwrap and leave it there, and it's going to look fine ten years from now those additives, those preservatives, the ultra processed ingredients. Like if you look at the ingredients, you're like, I can't pronounce this stuff. This looks like a chemistry experiment gone wrong. Those additives, they end up in our gut after we eat them and they cause inflammation. And that inflammation can seep out of the gut, get into the bloodstream, and it can make its way to the brain. And what can happen is, is that that inflammation, just like it attacks the joints or it attacks the gut, once it gets in the brain, It causes these other cells in the brain called microglia that are there to clean up the trash and the waste that we talked about before. They confuse these microglia. So the microglia are like, they're like the bottom feeders of the aquarium that eat up the garbage, but they're in your brain eating up the waste and the trash and the toxins. When these microglia get confused, they start attacking healthy brain cells. And that can damage memory centers of the brain and make it harder to remember things. It can damage parts of the brain involved with mood and raise the risk for depression. So, what we realize is that, that what we're, what's happening in our gut, what we're eating, and just our overall gut health plays a role. It's not the only thing, and but it plays a role in what's happening in our brain because of this connection between inflammation. It's not the only connection, but it's one connection that we can clearly sort of visualize that, wait a second, there's a fire in my gut and that's spreading to my brain. That's confusing the trash cleaners to not clean the trash, but attack healthy brain cells. And I can... Really understand how that could damage, you know, the functioning of my brain. So that's one one way to think about it and realize that you know that that's why we realize what we eat has this powerful impact on our brain health.
1: Do you know, I think that's one of the best analogies I've heard in regards to helping. To, I don't know, just taking it seriously. That there's a fire in in your stomach, and you know what you eat either puts it out or again, or or you know increases the intensity of the actual fire. Um, what foods? I mean, obviously, you mentioned Whole Foods, but is there anything which someone listens to, this to think? Where do I start? Because you know, it's there's, again, there's a lot of information out there about this, but you know, just some basic. What would where would they start?
0: Yeah, two things that are just, and I always my philosophy is let's make it as simple as possible, <laughs> simple and and as impactful as, as possible. So because it's diet, you know, especially with social media and blogs, and it gets just so confusing. But really, just breaking it down to when you're eating, just looking at your plate, and if you have colorful fruits and vegetables on your plate. If it looks like there's a rainbow there, that's good. Because what we realize is that it's not just one fruit or vegetable, because people say, I'm only eating, you know, whatever, berries today. Or what we really see is it's the synergistic, it's how they work together. And they they work together and basically can can help as they interact with the 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 anti-inflammatory compounds within these fruits and vegetables in a way that is synergistic and it helps put the fire out. So We want to think of combinations of colorful fruits and vegetables, varieties, and then the other thing is fiber. Fiber is like it. There's there's always like a joke that like if if fiber was a drug, people would be lining up for it because it just is one of the most powerful things we know of that lessens inflammation in the gut. So thinking about you know real fiber that's coming from you know nuts, um, if if grains are appropriate for somebody, um, whole natural grains. uh, That those are those the types of things that can be really helpful. And of course, there's People that have, you know, nuances within their diet for a variety of reasons. Um, but thinking about getting fiber in in some way, that could also be through vegetables too. Um, but those two things, just fiber, some fiber in my diet. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that we're always taking things away from our diet too. Just adding those things to your plate, interestingly, has been found in some, some studies to just be beneficial too. So, you know, if people are like, I don't want to take away this. Just like, you know, add it in. That can be good too. <laughs>
1: yeah no I, I love that and what do you think about adding cause, um I, I was interviewing dr will bolsowitz and he, he did the book fiber field and um he mentioned about adding um you know soluble fiber to your coffee well it's just a really simple thing or a smoothie uh if, if people are struggling to add that you know the amount of vegetables and uh, fruit to their diet what any thoughts about that is that a good thing to do yeah I mean
0: that's within reason you know if somebody's struggling to get it in their diet, I would say talk to your doctor about it anytime you add something like that in just to make sure it's you know it's um it's appropriate but it's within it's definitely within reason and um I, you know I think the, we think about trying things with food first and if that doesn't work as I think it's a a a a a good recommendation to say trying those, those, um, those things that you can add that are like fiber to, to smoothies or to coffee or to cereal. That's within reason. I would say just double check with your doctor just to make sure, you know, there's always the, the, the recommendation would say, let's just go one step further and just make sure it's right for the
1: person. Brilliant. Uh, very handy to know. And the, one bit that, the thing that, um, that confuses me is, and because we hear different versions of this, everywhere so it'd be good to see if i can get this cleared up but so serotonin is produced 90 percent of it is produced in the gut but that's not the same type of serotonin or, or same serotonin that's produced in the brain but does the serotonin in your gut have an influence on your mood to the brain you know it's like the class of separate things but somehow they all get lumped together and i and i'm you know it's one of these things which confuses the hell out of me so can you shine a light on that at all or- yeah so um, because
0: of the connection between the vagus nerve and our nervous system, so the vagus nerve runs from um, the gut basically to the brain. So chemicals or neurotransmitters like serotonin that are made in the gut they can impact nerve impulses that are sent to the brain um, in ways that I like to think of it like um like a guitar string. And if if you have certain factors like serotonin that are sending a lot of signals um, to from the gut through the vagus nerve it's like you're plucking the string really fast and that can cause feelings uh, of anxiousness in the brain whereas some uh, chemicals that are released you know in combinations with other the things about these neurotransmitters is they're not just on their own that's a, an area that's also can be understandably confusing it's how they impact with other neurotransmitters too but the idea is is that Combinations of other neurotransmitters can kind of slow down the, the 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 stimulation from the gut to the brain through the vagus nerve and cause more calm feelings. But um, it is accurate to say that serotonin is manufactured in the gut, and the serotonin has multiple. Um, Uh, Functions throughout the body, not just in terms of mood, but the serotonin in the gut can be sending signals to the brain through things like our nervous system and vagus nerve that can impact the way that we're feeling in the
1: brain. Brilliant! Thank you very much for that. That has cleared it up totally. It's one of those things which just changes all the time, and I'm just like, what is what? What's the right way to think about this? (laughs) Um, So, obviously, one of the things that um, you know you're talking about, what you know, different things that affect the aging of the brain. Um, like what for you would be a non-negotiable, what would be, what do you do to look after yourself that would, you know, that you've learned from writing your book? Because, uh, you know, it's, there's so much information. It's, it's very simple to understand and and impractical, but what, you know, what was surprising for you and what is it that's now non-negotiable for you for looking after yourself?
0: That's such a good question. Um, I, if I, it's hard to narrow it to one thing, but I would say the reason I wrote this book is because these things do help me very much and I need the help more than anybody. So I'm the type of person that if I don't do certain things, I don't sleep well. Um, if I don't do, if I don't get exercise, I don't feel well. So, um, they, they are very much part of my daily life. And I would say that just a couple of them that I would say are really important to me, um, is, really prioritizing my sleep, even when I'm traveling and being aware that what I'm doing in the morning impacts my sleep at night. So we talked, we touched upon it, but that all these insights into light. So I I really try to get outside in the morning into some natural light, which starts this countdown process in my brain that helps me fall asleep and helps everybody fall asleep at night. So I would say that's, that's something that I really try to prioritize. And then the other thing is, um, you know, what I'm eating, I, I find has a big impact on how I'm feeling. So the things we talked about there. So sleep, eating, and I would say besides just exercise, I would say um, I, I've the need to take walks. Um, I find that the studies pushed me to more walking because we know that walking can lower the risk of memory loss by, you know, about 60%, which is shocking, but it's so simple. It's something like so simple as getting about 30 minutes of walking in a day, which doesn't have to all be done at the same time. Um, So I would say that I really try to think about my day in terms of, okay, can I park a little bit farther from the store? Can I get off, you know, if I'm on public transportation, can I get off a stop earlier um, to try to integrate walking into my day? um, Because I find that that has a big impact on my mood and how I'm feeling and how my brain is working. So it wasn't just one thing. I wish it was, but it was, I would
1: say those three things plus others are the non-negotiables. Uh, that's good. that's really good to hear. And is there so obviously? I think these these are the basics. I promote with every client. You know, it's I, I like to take the holistic point of view. Is there anything else that you've like added in? So I I I have cold showers. I think the the way that my brain focuses after having a cold shower is just you know, and it's something that I was really resistant. <laughs> in doing uh, because it was very challenging, but now it's, it's it's so much easier. Is there anything else that you do that is a little thing that you know benefits you that's beyond the basics? Um, you know, it might sound remarkably simple, but
0: playing a sport. I try to play a sport most days, even if it's just for a few minutes. Because it's, it's one of the, the activities that in one thing I can hit a lot of things on my list that are important for my brain. So being physical, balance, being, you know, learning new things through the sport, um, being social. You, know, I, you play sports with people and that's really important for your brain. Um, stress relief. So I would say that something I try to do almost every day in some capacity, even if it's just something simple, is play a sport. Um, because as we look at all the data, all, not only is it just fun, which is good for your brain, but it just hits so many things on the list that you can combine into like a, a quick activity. Um, so I would say that's my, that's my go-to. That's the thing that if I don't do it, then I could be procrastinating to go to bed at night just to put, you know, put it all together that
1: I didn't get that in. So I, I try to really work that in pretty much every day. Cool. And the more so the more that you look after yourself, I guess, you know, I don't know what got you into, you know, you know, brain health and, and the research that you do. Um, and I'm sure that's a long story, another story. But I wanted to ask you, you know, from your own research and, and, and the practices that you've placed, what differences have you noticed in yourself, the way that you feel, think and, um, and the way that you interact maybe with other people just from, you know, your own practices? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's
0: been a world of difference, and um, in terms of everything from how my brain works to my mood to my ability to recover um, from from life's events, both things that are you know stressful events or things that I'm dealing with um, that you know just come our way. And the other thing is is that I talk about it in the book that I have an autoimmune condition, um, and so what I found is that if I can do these things. They are really helpful for me to be able to manage that condition too, and so I'm not saying that that's the only thing that that people need to do. You know, I also work with a a, a, a physician that that I that takes care of me. But I found that these things are critically important in order for me to stay in remission. Um, and if I if I can't if I if I'm not well, I can't do any of the things I want to do. So it all begins and ends with with, with my, my, with my health. So, um, I found that this formula of the same things that are going to protect my brain, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now are these same things that allow me to just function day to day. And if I, if I think it's also never perfect is a, as a point is that I, I realize that some days, you know, I need to readjust, I need to reprioritize my sleep or I need to really repri- reprioritize my diet or I need to, and sort of being in balance and it's okay that it's not perfect every day, but just being aware of it, I think is a big, as a big step and saying, Oh, these things really do matter. And I'm going to tweak this over here and adjust this here so that I'm moving forward each day in, you know, doing, giving it my best.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that sounds like, it's like a psychological flexibility with it, which just is, you're just aware of what needs to be, you know, adjusted each day. And if someone was to read your book, and I I can hear the benefits for you. If anyone was to read your book, what do you think and followed your advice? What would they, what do you think they would begin to feel that would say, wow, I, I have to share this book with everyone. Everyone has to know what Dr. Milt Milstein is, is saying, you know, what would they, what do you think they would, they would begin to experience? Well, I think that the, the feedback that
0: I've received from people reading the book, um, which I'm really grateful for is the a constant message I hear is I didn't realize I had that much control over my brain. Um, and I felt like, my brain was just something I was given, and that was I just had to sort of deal with it in every capacity. And I didn't realize that what I do and these little things that I can do, and I they, it's and I think the other thing people say is I didn't realize it wasn't it, the things were simple. They weren't. I don't have to buy something. I don't have to. It's not a fad. I don't have to stand on my head. I don't have to eat twenty seven species of, of different. You know, it's not uh, of certain vegetables every day. It's not these complex things um, that sometimes get attention. It's simple things um, that allow you to take more control over your brain, thus your mood, thus your memory, thus your productivity. It all begins there. And, And so the idea of I have more control now, and by doing these things, I feel empowered and calmer about the future. Because understandably, people have concerns about their brain health down the road, especially if they've had family members. And the idea now that we realize it's not just genetics, We now know we can lower risk of significant memory loss down the road. 95 to 99% of all cases of of Alzheimer's disease we say are not strictly genetic. Genes play a role, but our lifestyle factors can bring that risk down. Um, And so I think that that word I keep hearing is control, which I really am grateful to hear that, that
1: people feel that way, that they have more power over their brain health than they thought. I think that's a very powerful message that you've just given. So, uh, Alzheimer's is in my family and it's, it's been devastating to watch. Um, and there is a part that thinks, "What you know, have I done something in my history that was going to lead me towards having you know, the same outcome? So it's been really good to hear that it's preventable as long as you know, I begin to take looking after my brain health seriously and, and, and following uh, the steps in your book. Um, but if there is anyone out there who you know, Oh yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's about lowering risk. That's what we really see, um, is that we can, in about 95 to 99% of cases that we can bring risk down and that there's things we can do to leverage. And the other thing is it's not one thing, um, which, which also gives us avenues that we can say, okay, you know, we can optimize, we can think about sleep and diet and underlying conditions. And, and it gives us all these roads to help bring risk down, which I think is very helpful too.
1: Do you think, um, because I, I stopped drinking alcohol, for example, last year, as as part of just a whole series of messages that maybe that was a good idea to actually do. Um, is that something which you'd recommend um, with your studies on brain health? Is, it, does, is alcohol really that damaging towards the brain and it does, does that have an impact with Alzheimer's and dementia or is there you know, or is so it inconclusive? Yeah, it's it's pretty conflicting at this point. And so
0: there's things we know for sure, which is too much alcohol, you know, past a moderate amount is not good for brain health, um, that we clearly see. Then we say, well, there's diets like the MIND diet that includes moderate alcohol, like one glass a day, and that has been shown to lower risk. But then we have other studies that are conflicting that say that you know, no amount of alcohol is good for brain health. And what we believe is happening there is that this is an area where we're getting more individualized in terms of underlying conditions, genetics, family history, where alcohol for some people might have some brain protective effects if it's moderate. And for other people, it either exacerbates an underlying condition, or based upon their genetics, it's not beneficial for brain health. So with alcohol, we would say, Let's go one step further and talk to our doctor, you know, once or twice a year and say, you know, based on everything, you know, about me, my family history, um, any underlying conditions I have, is there any reason why alcohol is not even in moderate amounts, something that I should stay away from? And then I think people taking times and saying, I'm going to not have alcohol and see how I feel. And some people say, I feel significantly better. I'm sleeping better. I feel it's changed how I feel. And other people say, well, for me and my lifestyle, having a glass of wine or some alcohol with dinner is something that gives me great benefits and great joy. And I think there's room for both as we learn more that, you know, realizing that there's an individualized aspect of this. And I think for some people it can be, it can work and other people it's something to consider that it might not be appropriate for them.
1: Okay. I that, That's great advice. Because I said there's so much information at the moment. I mean, for me, it's been one of the best things I've ever done. Um, for, like, for my for brain health and for what it feels like for me the energy that i have now um but i know other people uh may not be experiencing the sort of same same benefits um the last question i wanted to ask you about was um because it's just everywhere at the minute is psilocybin and um and you know it you know, microdosing, should people, is this something that people should be looking at in regards to, is that a good thing for brain health and for mental and physical health? Or is is that something that we should be proceeding with with caution? I mean, it's illegal here in the UK. I know that I think in the States it's illegal, but there's caveats with being used for religious purposes, I guess. Uh, What are your thoughts? Um, I think that it's, exciting in terms of,
0: from a scientific perspective, that there's an, that there's something there that's emerging, um, but we want to be really careful. And to take this on, somebody to take it on on their own uh, and, and you know, kind of play with something like this without, without doing it under the care of a, of, a, of a physician or under the care of a, you know, a, a designed research study, it's concerning. Um, so, you know, I think we're always looking for things that are helpful and of benefit, but we want to be really careful with our brain and say that if this is something that, you know, there are some, there's some really interesting studies that are very promising. But in all aspects of brain health, we want to take those studies and say, okay, is this something I can do safely? Are we talking about something that's, you know, a general principle for sleep or diet? Or is this something where I'm potentially doing more damage than harm as we learn more about this? And if somebody's interested in those um, you know, those compounds and, and, and treating certain specific conditions, I, the recommendation is, you know, talk to a physician who is really on top of how those things are used, when they're used, what's the dosing, what, you know, under what parameters, you know, somebody related to a research university where this is something that's very controlled, um, as opposed to the concerning nature of somebody saying, I'm just going to, you know, try this and try to figure out the dose on my own and see how this works. Um, I think that, you know, just using a sense of uh, of of care in those areas is important that we just want to we want to know more about the research. We want to follow avenues that seem promising, but not take steps that could be doing more harm than good as we learn more.
1: I think that's great advice. I think that's great advice. I did say it was the last question, but I do have another one, but it's more about what's next for you. What is it that you, uh, what's exciting you? What are you heading in in the direction of next that would be, I don't know, the next step for you, I guess? Yeah, that's a really, that's a good question. I think that, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed
0: writing the book and that was uh, an all-encompassing activity for a couple of years. And now that, uh, I'm as I said, I'm grateful that the feedback for the book has been positive. So I'm hopeful um, that thinking about doing something online where where we could have take this information and, and be supportive and dive deeper into it, um, maybe in some groups where we, um, you know, meet once a week or for several weeks in, in, a, in a program where we can say, you know, let's all do this together <laughs> and let's all... Uh, Understand this in ways that we can. Let's take the latest research because things have come out. You know, things are always coming out. And which is this study real? Is this not real? What What do we want to pay attention to? And how do we turn these things into action in our life together as a group? Because I think there's there's people who can take this information and and be like, I'm ready to go. Let's do this, and that's great, and that's wonderful. And some people are like, I I I I need a team. I need support. I want to, and I'm excited about the idea of bringing groups together through an online um, program where we can, you know. Talk about what's what's working for for
1: people and what the what areas we can adjust and and um, have that support. I think that would be brilliant, as I said. But to tell someone, in, in, you know, with with your knowledge, um, you know, and you know, uh, education, that would be because again, you're you're right. There's so many studies that come out. And it gets bewildering because you see these clickbait headlines, and you're like, "Is this true?" Um, And to have you know, to to know that there's a resource where you could go to and have someone go, "Well, actually, do you know what?" Because you're educated enough to know how to do look at the research and those studies and 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 tell the truth about them. Whereas we're not really, I'm not really. So I'm just going to look. I I would look to to someone like you to tell me, "Hang on, is this good or not?" (laughs) Um, So I hope, yeah, I hope that I hope that's something you have you you do do. And if um, if people want to find out more about where to you know if you do anything like a course or a membership or um, or your book where can they find you mark so that they can um, stay in contact or reach out to you sure sure a, a great place is just my website
0: um, which is dr mark m-a-r-c millstein or milstein, either way is good <laughs> dot com um, m-i-l-s-t-e-i-n dot com and then i'm doing some things on social media so um, uh, at same same address um, on Instagram and starting to do some things on LinkedIn, too. So just trying to get information out there that's accurate and that's usable. And I like to say always the, the smallest things that they can have a big impact. Um, um, trying to just, you know, there's a lot of amazing, amazing research out there. Um, and as you
1: said, let's focus on the, on the good studies and push away the bad ones. Yeah, you know, just I really heartily recommend your Instagram channel. I said I, I just before you came on, I was binge watching so many, um, you know, tips and things. I, I've been writing them all down. I didn't, you know, for just one for example <laughs> about what do you know, they The teaspoon of herbs that fruit, that was good for your gut, etc. I was just like, yes, this is brilliant information. I can do that. That's and it's so yes. Please go to uh, Mark's uh, Instagram. I'll put those details and his website in the in the show notes so you can have a look um, and you know age proof your brain this is where this is what we all want this is where we're all heading i'm in my my 50s so it means it means a lot to me at this age uh but i think it's a good a good thing to do to start at any age isn't it really
0: yeah yeah thank you thanks for having me i appreciate it great so great to talk to you and appreciate all that you're doing to get this information out there so thank you so much
1: thank you so much for listening to this interview with uh, dr mark milstein I hope it's inspired you to make some tweaks and changes to your lifestyle so you can feel the difference in your mind and in your body. Thanks for joining me and I look forward to connecting with you in the very next episode. And I hope you have the most incredible day.